Welcome here into NBA Sound System, another draft edition coming right back at you. I am Micah Adams alongside two of my draft nicks for today. First up, Alex Novick. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Ready to talk about uh, some 2011 NBA draft. And judging by our conversations uh, that we've had kind of before hopping on here, you, my friend, will disagree heavily with the other part of our three-man weave, Mr. Scott Rafferty. Scott, what's up going on? <laughs> I'm doing well. I think, I think based on what we've been talking about, I think this is going to make for an interesting discussion. Yeah, so look, right now is, is kind of the, the point in time guys are declaring for the NBA draft. We would normally be starting hyping up, talking about the upcoming draft here, which would be uh, a little over two months away. That, of course, is in limbo. We don't really even know when that will happen, what that will look like. So instead, we're going to hit pause and we're going to we're going to take a spin back here back to 2011. We're going to redraft the entire lottery, maybe up until, I don't know, the the 20th pick or something like that. Kind of rehash what sort of transpired since the 2011 draft. Uh, A couple of notes to get into just to kind of paint the picture of why we picked this one in particular. Uh, It was a really strong draft class. Seven different players from this uh, draft went on to make at least one all-star team. You have to go all the way back to the vaunted draft class of 2003, the one with LeBron, D-Wade, Carmelo, Chris Bosh. You have to go back to that one to find another draft class which had more all-stars than 2011. 22 different players from that draft played this past season with 15 of them starting at least 15 games. So you'll see a recurring theme. You know, there are seven, eight, nine, you know, really all-star type players, but the depth of this draft goes incredibly deep. So enough of me talking, enough setting the scene. Let's get right into it. The number one overall pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers originally took Kyrie Irving, Alex you drew the number one overall pick. Is it still Kyrie? Oh, definitely not. I, I got to go with uh, my number one overall favorite player, uh, and that's Kawhi Leonard. He's he's the clear number one here. And one and one thing he's that that you didn't mention. Um, just rounding up, kind of a summary of this draft class. Kawhi is the first of what is potentially five Hall of Fame caliber players uh, in this draft, depending on. How a couple guys' careers play out, but um, I think that's a pretty unique, unique. You level have five player. Hall of Fame guys from this from this draft alone. I said potential. I mean, we'll get into it. Potential. Wow. That's we're, high all right. Grade. Would you say right now? Would you say Kawhi is a Hall of Famer? Yeah, he's in. Okay. Obviously, yeah. Okay, so that's one, and then uh, that's okay. that'll make for some good we'll debate. Save the others as, as for we as, we get, as we get there. <laughs> I, for what it's worth, I think I probably have two. So right off the bat here, we're going to disagree. Uh, Scott, any disagreement with Kawhi going number one here? Absolutely no disagreements. That was a no-brainer. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting looking back uh, about this number one pick. So uh, the Clippers actually owned uh, the combination of picks uh, that actually won uh, the right to draft number one overall. The Clippers had a 3% chance to win the number one overall pick. Those were just the eighth best odds. They ended up winning the draft lottery, but of course did not own the pick because earlier that February they had traded it to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, along with a 31-year-old washed-up Baron Davis. 
They got back Mo Williams and Jamario Moon in return. They put no protections on the pick. Williams played just one more year with the Clippers starting one game. Jamario Moon played all of 19 games with the Clippers and then was out of the league. So that's what the right to the number one overall pick ultimately got the Clippers, who could have paired Kyrie Irving or Kawhi Leonard alongside Blake Griffin, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, all right, moving on to the number two overall pick. That was made by the Tim- the Minnesota Timberwolves who took Derek Williams. Scott, you are on the board with the number two pick. Who are you taking? I really do think this is the toughest pick because to me, there are two clear options here. It's either Clay Thompson or Jimmy Butler. And I think they're two very different players because Jimmy Butler is better suited to be kind of a number one option on a team. Whereas I think Clay Thompson can kind of play next to absolutely anybody. Um, I've gone back and you re- forth. You realize, you, you realize it's impossible to actually sit on the fence in a redraft <laughs> where you actually have to pick a side and take someone. I mean, if you're going to cut me off before I can make my pick, I mean, is, is that uh, how the, we're doing this? Uh, um, the, the, time, the time limit's about to expire on you. You're about to give right. up the rights. Clay Thompson. To draft here. Clay Thompson. Okay, why, why Clay over Jimmy? I, I, as I said, I, I like the way that he can kind of play next to absolutely anyone. I, I don't know if he can be a number one option on the team, but he can play next to anyone. He's one of the greatest shooters of all time. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. I, I, and I think he's a good culture setter. So I, I like him being the pick here. It, so I, I've thought this for a while. I actually think that if you were to go through every player in all of NBA history, I, I sincerely believe this. I think that Klay Thompson might be the most plug-and-play player uh, that that the league has ever had. He's Is that a stretch? I, I don't know if I'd say the the number one um, in terms of plug-and-play, like but he's absolutely who's more of a plug. Who's more of a plug-and-play guy than somebody who doesn't need the ball is one of the, I don't know, inarguably one of the three uh, the three best shooters of all time, is an amazing defender, has got great size, he's smart, he's unselfish, he's a great teammate. Who who would you, who is a more kind of plug-and-play guy than Klay Thompson? I mean, if you, you could talk about a guy like Kevin Durant. Like, Kevin Durant could play literally on any team, and yeah, he needs the ball in his hands more, but he has a skill set that can play alongside anyone. Steph as well, I think he's, which is funny because we're naming Golden State guys who, or guys who did play with the Warriors. <laughs> I do think there are other options here, but absolutely, Klay kind of could play in any sort of era alongside any player, any team, any system. Um, he, he's, just, he's just that versatile. Scotty Pippen comes to mind for me. He's a guy that had complete versatility. He could, he, you know, wasn't the shooter, the spot up shooter that obviously the guys that you just named were, but he could, he could hit an open shot and pretty much do anything else on the on the court. So and may, and a lot more than Clay Thompson could really do, in, in all honesty. So uh, Clay's a good option there, but I'd probably go Scotty. It's 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 kind of it's kind of wild looking back uh, on a draft that's this deep with this many stars for the number one and number two players in our redraft originally taken fifteenth in the case of Kawhi, eleventh in the case of Clay Thompson, uh, and we're we're not even done there yet. I have the third overall pick. Uh, the Utah Jazz initially drafted Ennis Cantor after a. Uh, uh, a really odd situation at Kentucky where he was technically at Kentucky but didn't play, but he was practicing. Um, but that's neither here nor there. In in our redraft, I, I think, uh, you know, Scott, you hit the nail on the head with the number two pick. It kind of comes down to 
Clay Thompson or, or Jimmy Butler. Fans of Kyrie Irving would, would really beg to disagree with you there. I, however, will not because I think it's very clear that Jimmy Butler uh, would be the number th- three player. Jimmy Butler, of course, originally taken with the 30th pick and the last pick of the first round uh, by the Chicago Bulls. Hard to argue that one. I mean, like you said, Kyrie fans are going to be upset. Hard to argue, Jimmy. I'll uh, back to the Hall of Fame discussion. So, Basketball Reference gives a uh, a projection, a percentage chance for each player to make the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Butler, they got it 43% right now. I think if he has a few more years like he's had, uh, and went, and he's probably going to have to win the title or at least lead lead Miami to the finals, I think he's got a shot there. Um, and by the way, that. Basketball reference says Clay has 51%, Kawhi has 55% chance to make the Hall of Fame. So that's uh, that's three of the five we mentioned that that I mentioned at the top. And we've already uh, we've already hit the two that I think would would be in. I, I honestly I think right now, obviously careers are not ending right now, and a lot of things can change. I, I think that Kawhi and Clay are the only two automatics. I don't even think Kyrie's an automatic right now. And it's actually it's actually surprising because I think you know you we're looking at the Hall of Fame probabilities that they list out and the fact that Kyrie Irving uh, has a greater chance of making the Hall of Fame according to basketballreference.com's uh, Hall of Fame probability calculator, which by the way is an awesome tool. I love it. I think Basketball Reference is amazing. So I don't want to go I don't want to be too hard on this on this number here, but to me it's a joke that Kyrie has a better Hall of Fame percentage than either Kawhi Leonard or Klay Thompson. See, I, I agree with you on the Kawhi. I, I still kind of think that Kyrie is is sort of a lock to make the Hall of Fame, though, because you've got to consider the whole body of work. It considers international play. It considers him winning a Rookie of the Year, um, him winning a Finals. He also played so well in those Finals, and he obviously hit one of the greatest shots in NBA history. I think Kyrie is a pretty safe bet to make the Hall of Fame. Well, it would be helpful if he could ever win uh, with somebody other than the either greatest or second greatest all, player of all time next to him. Because all he's done whenever <laughs> he hasn't had LeBron is either lose or flat out underachieve and or just kill it, kill his entire team. I would love to see that out of Kyrie Irving before we just go ahead and, and put him into Springfield. Yeah, I think that's probably a con in his Hall of Fame case, uh, destroying teams, multiple teams. Yeah, I don't think I would give generally, the 65% chance that basketball reference does. Generally frowned upon. All right, so the top <laughs> three picks in the draft. We have originally the 15th, the 11th, and the 30th pick. Uh, Alex, it is back to you with the Cleveland Cavaliers yet again on the clock. Originally, they took Tristan Thompson here. Who are they taking with the fourth pick? Yeah, definitely not Tristan Thompson. And uh, here's where I'm going to fire some some people up. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. and. Because of everything we just talked about with Kyrie and his oh, uh, his negativity surrounding his career and just the the turbulent career he's had, I'm I'm passing on him. I'm also going to pass on Kemba Walker, which is going to oh no, wow, going to bother Scott. I know. Oh, um, what are you doing? And I am going to select Tobias Harris with oh, my goodness. the fourth pick. Uh, Tobias was the 19th overall pick. Uh, in this draft by the, I believe it was the Hornet, the Bobcats at the time. Um, he did not play for the Bobcats. He played, he started his career with the Bucks. 
Uh, but Tobias is a really, really solid, underrated player. Uh, get a go to him to get a bucket in any crunch situation. I'd be I'd be confident. Uh, he's much more efficient than uh, than Kemba, and he's he's a better defender, and he's had a much a steadier career than Kyrie. So give me Tobias. Yeah, he's much more efficient than Kemba, but that's because he doesn't take nearly the degree of difficulty of shots that Kemba does and drives the offense in the way he does. And the same for Kyrie. I don't know if if we're, if we're going this high for him. Um, I, I think you want a guy who who is kind of like an all-star talent and can at least lead a team. Yeah, but we just established. I'm, I'm, legit, I'm legitimately stunned right here. You're, <laughs> Alex, you're the David you're the David Kahn uh, GM of this podcast. You just. You you just did the uh, you just did the 2011 redraft version of taking Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio over Stephen Curry. Really, you're going to compare Johnny Flynn, a guy who played two years in the NBA, to uh, to Tobias Harris, who's a borderline All Star player who can okay. Get so a the, okay, so maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. It's, it's, I don't know. I think it's I I am I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Kyrie hater. I'm with you. I think that Kimba's a little bit overrated, but. Man, taking Tobias over both of those guys feels uh feels odd. So you're gonna tell me there there is this crazy world out here where the Cleveland Cavaliers could have gotten Kawhi Leonard and Kyrie Irving, and instead you're you're uh you're gonna just take Tobias Harris, who by the way is only just now becoming uh you know in the last two years or so somebody that's that's really an impact player. I it, mean he he it took. It took uh, Tobias Harris several years to really fi- find his footing here. Would they have been uh, patient knowing that they wouldn't have gotten this version of Tobias Harris for like six years? I, I disagree with that. The last, uh, the last six years of his career, he's averaged 17.6 rebounds a game, shooting 37% from the field. Or sorry, 37% from three, 47% from the field. He's been a solid complimentary scorer and number one scorer for the last few years. Um, so I think he's had a nice career since he was 21 years old. It's just those first two seasons where he didn't really play much uh, after he was traded to the Bucks on draft day. Uh, and they just kind of gave him away. Anytime you could be traded, anytime you could be traded away on draft day and play on five different teams in your first eight years, you have to be taken over, <laughs> uh, over two guys who you said are going to make the hall of fame. No, I didn't. I said that they have potential to, and Kemba probably <laughs> looking that back. Kemba probably won't. Incredible, but they they have potential to. Listen, Kemba Walker is a nice player, but give me a point guard who averages at least five assists a game and doesn't doesn't hog the ball and shoot barely forty percent from the wow. field. I mean, I like Kemba, but he I think he's way overrated. Um, and if you need a bucket at the end of a game, I'm going to Tobias nine times out of ten over over Kemba. And Kyrie's just he's too much of a of a distraction for me. I think Tobias is a safe pick. Who, it's by the lot. way, I was looking I just looked it up. Um, he was traded along with Steven Jackson and Sean Livingston to the Bucks um, in a three team trade that also involved the Kings that involved Corey Maggette, Bismack Biombo, Jimmer Fredette, Bino Udri. Uh, and John Sammons as well. A lot of lot of names that resonate shifting teams in that trade. And then the Bucks didn't even give Tobias a chance. Uh, he only played 42 games for them his rookie year. Then the next year they traded him to Orlando where he uh, he kind of busted out. I will say one of the tricky things for Tobias Harris for me is that I think he's kind of overqualified to be a third option, but 
underqualified to be a second option so he's kind of in that that limbo phase to me because he's, he's someone who who's at his best when he has the ball in his hands but i don't know if he's good enough for you to run your offense through him but then if you if you like we kind of saw last year with the 76ers when he's the third or fourth option on offense he kind of just stands in the corner and doesn't really do anything because he's not a high enough volume three-point shooter to really bend defenses like a jj reddick or something like that so i, I do think I, I actually like tobias harris i would never take him where you did so i respect you for going for that um <laughs> but I, I do think he's a little bit of a trickier player to build around um than, so, than, than a kemba or Kyrie. i i i kind of I agree with you a little bit in the in the overqualified to be a three, underqualified to be a two. He's kind of would be best suited on a team where like the second best player is like a like a Rudy Gobert type or like a or like a peak Draymond Green type. Somebody that is a all-star, all-NBA player, clearly a better player, but not necessarily one that's gonna be taking 17, 18 shots a game. Yeah, I'd go with that. I mean, that's that's probably his his best role, but he's great in that role. Like, there might not be a player in the league that you that you'd want as that steady guy you can count on. Who who? I mean, you said he's not a high volume three point shooter, but I mean, he's been forty percent the last few years shooting five a game. So I I, I would like. I would like Tobias Harris to. Uh, I'm excited for like the Jamal Crawford Sixth Man of the Year uh, phase of Tobias Harris's career, which is. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think that that's where that's the direction that he should go, but that's just me. All right, this is all. This is already way too much Tobias Harris. <laughs> uh, let's mo- let's move on. Scott, you have the fifth pick. The Raptors originally took uh, Jonas Valanciunas. I'm gonna assume that you're gonna go in another direction here. Yeah, I'm going in a different direction. You, you know, it's funny. When, when we talked about doing this, I kind of listed our order by our picks and then wrote names next to our names who I thought we would take. And I, I was I was almost certain that Alex would take Kemba Walker 4, which made Kyrie Irving a really pick, easy pick for me. So this has kind of thrown me for a loop. But <laughs> I still think I'm going to take Kyrie Irving. There's just there's no denying he, he's an absolutely fantastic offensive player. There are questions about his ability to lead in team and everything like that. But I think ultimately with a pick like this, you go for the highest upside. And for me, that's Kyrie over Kemba. Kyrie, who is the number like one I've, pick? Just to make clear. I feel like I've been in the most uh, uh, enviable, enviable position so far because I would have had to choose between Clay Thompson and Jimmy Butler and I didn't have to pick. And now I would have had to pick between Kemba and Kyrie and Scott both times. You've kind of made my life easy for me. I told you I got the hottest picks in the draft. So, all right, let's we look. We can't talk five minutes about Tobias Harris and then just kind of gloss over Kyrie Irving. What? So there are lots of people out there uh, who would probably still take Kyrie second, and probably some who might even I I I don't know. Maybe Kawhi has has reached a point where he's just a no brainer number one, and it's a hundred percent across the board. But Kyrie is somebody out there that has a lot of clout, not only among players but fans alike. Where do you think the disconnect is with Kyrie Irving between kind of those two schools of thought uh, and the two conversations around him? I mean, I think it's his, his ability to impact winning and lead a team. Because, uh, you know, even just over the last few years, without him, the Celtics make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. The next year, we think they're getting Kyrie and Gordon Hayward back. They're the favorites to win the, the, the title. And that season goes worse than anyone could have expected. And it wasn't all on Kyrie, but he received a lot of the blame for that. And then even this season on the Nets, he put up some of the highest scoring numbers um, of his career, a fantastic all-around scorer. 
but the Nets were basically a better team when he wasn't playing. And that's that's concerning, and that's not something you want in your, your number one player. And even dating back to before LeBron got to Cleveland, you know, those Cavaliers teams weren't very good. Um, so I, I think that's the disconnect. When you watch Kyrie, he he you know he he passes the eye test. He looks fantastic. He's a super smooth scorer. Can get a shot off against anyone. One of the best isolation scorers we've ever seen. But there's still questions this late in his t- in his career as uh, how far he can lead a team. And I think when you compare that to Kawhi Leonard, we have no doubt about that. Klay Thompson has played on winning teams his whole life. Jimmy Butler is a guy who pretty much everywhere he's gone hasn't gone as deep in the playoffs as some of those other guys. But he's performed at an all-star level and made teams competitive. Tobias Harris doesn't deserve to be in the same discussion here, in my opinion. Um, but that's why I think that Kyrie is just a level below those guys, um, those top three guys. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, honestly, is there a player in the NBA right now that other players would want to play with less than Kyrie Irving? If you're doing like a complete candid poll of other players, of players around the league, I, I would think that Kyrie would be the number one guy that players would not want to play with at this point in his career. He's, he has problems with everyone. Well, the tricky he, thing he, is... Go ahead. The, the tricky thing is, like like what I just said about Tobias Harris, where he's you know overqualified to be a third option, underqualified to be uh, a two option. Kyrie was really at his best when he basically functions as a shooting guard next to LeBron, who, who can just run an offense and be basically the point guard on the floor. Um, and he hasn't really had an opportunity to do that against another player. And I think that's why it's difficult because Kyrie is the kind of guy who, who wants the ball in his hands, needs the ball in his hands. But other than that Cleveland situation, he hasn't had an opportunity. He hasn't played next to someone who's basically told him what to do, play to his strengths, not worry about getting everyone else involved. Um, and, and maybe that's what's going to happen next season when Kevin Durant comes back. I don't know. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if I expect it to happen. But um, that there is kind of like a weird disconnect between the, the role that he does play and the role that he, he ideally should play. I agree. I, look, I, I think that uh, people are being too quick to assume that Kyrie and Kevin Durant are going to fit seamlessly next to each other. Because I, I, I think you're right in the sense that Kyrie's best role, he's best suited for exactly what you just said. Playing a high volume, essentially shooting guard next to a do-everything kind of playmaker. But Kevin Durant is a is a vastly different player than LeBron. And there were times even in that stretch uh, in Golden State throughout those three years there where... I, look, everyone can say all they want about uh, you know Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant and Draymond Green learning how to share, and no one wanted to step on each other's toes. But there were definitely periods where Kevin Durant felt like his best option was to to sort of lean into his strengths as a one-on-one scorer, and he might be the most gifted one-on-one scorer uh, this league has ever seen. And look, if that's going to cause some issues playing alongside what three of the three of the most unselfish superstars ever imagine how that's going to be playing alongside Kyrie Irving who's a pretty grating teammate and you know as we've discussed is somebody that like really needs needs to have the ball in his hands uh, to really get the best I don't I don't see Kyrie Irving being happy running off the ball and 
coming off pin downs because Kevin Durant is out there doing his thing at the top of the key. I don't know. I, I have some concerns about that. There's going to be a lot of my turn, your turn on that team. And I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they're kind of underwhelming in the regular season um, and better in the playoffs just because I think that they're probably better suited to go against the kind of defenses that teams usually see in the playoffs. So that that's actually one of the things I, I that I, I think Kyrie deserves uh, more crap for. So... Look, I think if you were to if you were to rank every player based on who you want in an NBA Finals series, there's no doubt that Kyrie Irving is like a he's a big game player. He can get a shot against anybody. Uh, he's earned the reputation that he has. However, at the same time, you also have to get to that point, right? It's not just like you don't just like show up and you're in the NBA Finals. You don't just like show up in a close game in the fourth quarter. Things like how you how you play with teammates over the course of 82 games matters. Your seeding in the playoffs matters. All of that functions in to ultimately getting to where you want to be, right? It's, it's kind of like what we saw with Boston. Like if Boston will have played to its potential over the 82 games last year, they're not playing Giannis and the Bucks in the second round. And everyone isn't pissed off by the time they get there to the point where you don't have the opportunity to even lean into Kyrie Irving's strengths. So I think like Kyrie gets, for all the credit he gets as this sort of big game player, you still have to actually get to the big game. And right now, short of being on a team with LeBron James, he has shown zero ability, zero to translate that vast ability into actual winning, sustained basketball. The funny thing too is that even beyond the questions about how they're going to fit, like who on that team is going to take the biggest shot of the game when it matters most? Because even that season, the 2016 finals, when the Cavaliers beat the Warriors, like that that three, Kyrie was the best person on that team to, to take that three. Um, he's a much better three-point shooter than LeBron is. Um, and has been throughout his career. But if there's one player who can basically do pretty much everything that Kyrie Irving can do, but better, it's Kevin Durant. So I do wonder if there's going to be um, some growing pains between them in that regard, um, just in terms of like who, who the ball goes to in the clutch and, and who is best suited for that. All right. Well, so Kyrie Irving, originally the number one overall pick, goes fifth in our redraft to Scott. And Scott, I am so happy that you took him because I did not want to have to take Kyrie Irving and I 100% would have. Uh, but moving on to the sixth pick, the Washington Wizards initially took Jan Vesely, who had uh, one of the all-time draft green room uh, shots. He makes out with his girlfriend right after they right after they pick him. Uh, he, of course, was was one of those next great European players, a YouTube sensation. He was definitely not an NBA sensation, uh, so it should shock nobody. Uh, that I'm giving 0% chance of taking him here at six. I'm going to take Kemba. Uh, look, I understand all of the concerns about uh, Kemba and some of what Alex was saying, I, I think, ring true. I think it's a little bit too harsh. But at the end of the day, like the guy's a walking bucket. He's one of the best teammates in the league. And he's sort of like a, like a caffeine-free diet Damian Lillard. And uh, that's good enough for me. If I'm getting Kemba Walker with the sixth overall pick, that says all you need to know about the depth of this overall draft class. Caffeine-free and diet Damian Lillard. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. he's, he's, not, he's not Damian Lillard. He's not Damian Lillard, right? But he's so, also probably not diet Damian Lillard either. Does caffeine-free mean he has less... Uh, Less energy and and yeah, vibrancy. Just a less, uh, 
Yeah, I think ex- <laughs> take it take it for what you will. I'll I'll leave that open to interpretation. Diet Diet Damian Lillard felt a little disrespectful to Damian Lillard. That's why I had to add the caffeine free part in there. <laughs> okay, Damian Lillard zero. Can we can we go with that? No, that's fine. Clear Damian Lillard clear. Okay. Uh, all right. So ab- about Kimba, you you guys disagree on on where Kimba. Kimba lies. Alex, we kind of heard why you took Tobias Harris over Kimba Walker. Scott, you're you were torn between Kyrie and Kimba. What makes Kimba so great and special in your eyes? Just the amount that Kemba has improved throughout his career is incredible. I, I don't think he gets enough attention for it because he came into the NBA as a guy who couldn't really shoot. Uh, he, he's a pick and roll heavy point guard who teams basically just dropped underneath screens every single time he ran it and he couldn't punish them um, by hitting pull up threes. And in the years since, uh, he's turned into one of the NBA's best three-point shooters, uh, especially off the dribble. And, and the way that he gets his shot off, even though he's small, he's very slight, he's turned into a guy who can get it. He doesn't need any space at all. And he knows how to set up screens and everything like that. He's just a very crafty player. And I think um, you want, at this kind of pick, you'd want someone who, who is a gym rat, who's, who's going to do everything that he can to be to reach his full potential. Because um, that that gets usually that usually gets the best out of his teammates, even though that certainly did not happen uh, in Charlotte, unfortunately. So Kimba Walker's breakout season, really. So he didn't make his first All Star team until his sixth season. His fifth season is kind of when he really started to break out. Up until that point, he was still shooting uh, in the high thirties. Really, do, wasn't wasn't really playing a lot of winning basketball. And if you actually look back at this draft class. If you look at just the first four seasons uh, and sort everyone from this draft class by win shares, Kimball Walker actually comes out 11th, which is actually below uh, where he was originally drafted, originally the ninth overall pick by the Bobcats. So early on, like I think right, you know, right now in 2020, looking back in hindsight, you'd say, man, I can't believe Kimball Walker went ninth overall. But really, when you look at what how he actually played those first couple of seasons, like, I'm not sure even if the Bobcats or, or now Hornets knew after his fourth year if he was ultimately going to become the player that he that he ultimately did. I think it's safe to assume that they didn't know that because um, he also he, he was a little bit older. He, he Was he at UConn for two years, um, maybe three years? So he was a little bit older than other players uh, in his draft class. And usually those kind of players, you don't think that they have as high of a ceiling or they're close to the, reaching their peak. Um, than a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, and everything like that. But he's really, it, it's its not the same as Pascal Siakam because his improvement is just absolutely outrageous. But it is similar in the sense that he, he has made a couple big jumps later in his career than players usually does uh, usually do. And I mean, now he's made, what, four straight All-Star appearances. Uh, he's a starting point guard on a Celtics team that has an incredibly bright future. Um, and, and it's nice to see for him because he did, he did suffer su- through so many losing years in Charlotte and now he has a chance to be on a, a team that is, is among the title favorites. Yeah, I mean, his a huge part of his legacy is going to be determined uh, in the next couple of years, just how he does in the playoffs. First time he'll really be on a legitimate stage uh, with playoff expectations. Uh, fortunately, I think there's a chance he's going to get exposed a little bit. I love Kemba, but I think his... Uh, no, he's he's. <laughs> you definitely do not love Kimba. <laughs> I, I I do. No, I actually you, do love Kimba. You do the, because, the opposite of love Kimba. No, I think he's an overachiever. I think he's great for, um, you know, the type of player that he's made himself with. You know, an undersized, uh, and a game that's kind of 
he's not a spot up shooter. He's not a pure point guard, but he's he's carved out a great niche. Uh, despite being undersized, I, I just think you got to take him for what he is instead of he's been elevated to this all-star starter. And I just don't think he's really on that level of like leading a team to a, to a title or even, even to the finals. And I think he's going to be exposed a little bit, unfortunately. I think yeah, we, we talk, go ahead, Scott. I think Boston is perfect for him in that regard though. Cause one reason that I loved his fit there going into the season is cause I think for about, for about 44 minutes of a game, I think Kemba can basically be uh, very similar to Kyrie in terms of production. Like, I, I, it's it's really those like last four minutes of a game where Kyrie is head and shoulders better than Kemba. But I think for the Celtics to be their best, Jason Tatum um, and to a lesser extent Jalen Brown, but Jason Tatum in particular needs to be their closer and their big fourth quarter guy. And I think it's just much like Kemba is happy for Tatum to be that guy. Whereas I don't think Kyrie, I don't think Tatum would have ever become that guy had Kyrie stayed there. So I don't think, to your point, that there are limitations to Kemba. We saw that in Charlotte. He wasn't a great crunch, crunch time scorer because he's so reliant on um, getting those pull-up threes. He's not a great finish. He's, he's a limited finisher around the basket because of his size and everything like that. But I think in a vacuum, Boston is the perfect situation for him because they can cover up his weaknesses in ways that Charlotte could not and other teams wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I agree. We, we talked with uh, about fit when we were, we were talking earlier about Tobias Harris. I think Kimba is perfectly suited for that hybrid sort of second or third guy. And I think Jason Tatum making that leap, that leap that he did might ultimately be the one thing that helps Kimba Walker the most uh, beyond anything that he personally does. His best player in Charlotte was probably like Al Jefferson, uh, who had a who had a nice what year and a half stretch there. Outside of that, it's a lot of like Nick Batum, Wash Dwight Howard. Uh, it's it's pretty ugly there. Uh, all right, moving on to the seventh pick. This was uh, originally made by the Sacramento Kings, who took Bismack Biyombo. Uh, Biyombo, of course, never played there. Part of that three team trade uh, involving Tobias Harris and Jimmer Fredette, two guys taken later in the draft. Uh, Alex, you are up with the seventh pick. Who are the Sacramento Kings taking? Yeah, I'm going with uh, Vooch, Nikola Vucevic, uh, who was taken 16th originally by the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, didn't really get much of a chance his rookie year and then was traded to Orlando the next year uh, in what was an ironic, looking back, is, is kind of an ironic deal because he was, he was included in the deal that sent Dwight Howard to L.A., Andrew Bynum to Philly, uh, which were obviously the two centers that everyone was was focused on and had a lot of hype around them, and I guess at that time deservedly so. But over the last six years, I mean, Bynum's MIA, Dwight Howard's fallen off big time. Uh, we know how his career is is kind of spiraled downhill, and and Vooch has made an All Star team, been a very very good center uh, for the Orlando Magic. That unfortunately haven't won much, but uh, he's uh, his career is is probably the career in 2012 that you would have chosen out of those three guys going forward. It's wild to think that in a trade that included Dwight Howard, Jason Richardson, uh, what is it? Andrew, Andrew Bynum's in that trade. Andre, Andre Iguodala is included in that trade. It's kind of wild to think that it's Vooch that since that trade was made, you could argue has had the most productive career of any of those guys. Yeah, I think it's an, it's That's definitely an crazy. argument you can make. Yeah, it, he 
he wasn't didn't really have much fanfare coming out of college, even though he had a really strong career with USC two years. Uh, and he's kind of been under the radar for the last uh, you know six seven years until he finally made an All Star team last year. But uh, he's been solid. And then that trade, by the way, it was a four team trade that overall I think turned out to be fifteen players: uh, Al Harrington, Aaron Flalo, Dario Saric, uh, Josh McRoberts. Chris Duhon, Earl Clark, Mo Harkless, a lot of guys included in that trade. Um, and yeah, like you said, Fooch is, uh, is the best one of the bunch. And it also included the pick that became Rod- your boy Rodion's Karooks. <laughs> Six years after the fact. Yeah. All right. Okay, moving on after Vooch, the eighth overall pick. Scott, you were on the board. The Detroit Pistons originally took Brandon Knight. Are you taking Brandon Knight? I am not taking Brandon Knight. Uh, This is a little tricky one because I I do think there is a big drop-off at this point in the draft. And there's a lot of different ways that you could go. I think I'm going to go with Jonas Valanciunas, though. He's never made an all-star team, but he's become a really solid center. A guy who has basically started every game in his career. Um, He's a walking double-double. He's improved as a defender, even though he is limited on that end of the court. And this season, he's kind of started expanding his range out to the three-point line, taking 1.3 threes a game, making 37% of those. He's a guy who can get you a bucket in the post. I just think he's a, he's a pretty solid pick here, given, uh, given who else is available. Now, are you, are you making this pick based on the knowledge that we have about sort of what's happened with injuries and, and everything else? Because... There's an alternate reality here in which you just passed on a guy that finished fifth in MVP voting a couple years uh, for, like you said, somebody that's never made an all-star team before. I'm talking about Isaiah Thomas. It is, and I'm a big IT guy. I love those seasons. I was a big fan of his and everything like that. But I I do think that the Celtics built the perfect team around him, surrounded him, him with the perfect players who can cover up for his weaknesses. We all know he's one of the worst defenders in the league, maybe the worst defender in the league because of his size, his inability to guard multiple positions and things like that. So again, I I do think Isaiah Thomas is probably um, the sexier pick here and and had the better peak, a far higher peak than Jonas Valanciunas has. I just think from start to finish, Valanciunas is probably a safer pick. Yeah, I mean... No, any gripes there? (laughs) No, I I think uh, at number eight, Valanciunas is... It's a great pick. He's he's a guy. He's a per thirty six monster. I think his numbers this year, per thirty six, are on a historic level almost for for centers. When you look at he's hitting threes now and just a double double machine, uh, kind of like Vucevic before him. Um, but yeah, that's a good pick. I think we should get into it once he's finally picked. And there's there's a few other uh, things we can branch off. Um, and that's a transition to uh, to Micah. Are you taking him with number nine? I am not taking it with number nine, so you're going to have to uh, put that back up in in, in your uh, storage locker where you got it. So <laughs> ninth, the uh, the Charlotte Bobcats originally took Kimba Walker here, who, who was obviously not on the board. Uh, Scott, I'm actually stunned that you took Jonas Valanciunas over uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, who is, uh, who is my pick here. I think Bogdanovich is somebody, especially with knowing what we know now about sort of the direction that the league has gone, I don't think you could ever have enough guys that can do what Bogdanovich can do. Uh, and I think that at, at the ninth overall pick, 
uh, is is pretty spectacular. I actually, I probably, I think I had him listed higher than Tobias Harris uh, on my <laughs> uh, my sort of pre pre draft board. Who Novik hilariously took fourth. So I'm going to take Bogdanovich here. He he was next on my list, by the way. I pr- I probably didn't give him enough thought because you're right. He he is the kind of guy that I like. I did not realize he was averaging like 20 points per game this season. By the way, that that completely flew underneath my radar. Um, but he he's he's been this guy. He's kind of a a late bloomer. I want to say he came alive like a couple years ago um, in that Indiana series uh, that they pushed the cast to seven games. He did a decent job defensively on LeBron James. The year after, he kind of carries the paces. When uh, when Victor Oladipo goes down, they still make the playoffs. Um, he's a really nice player, a guy who can play multiple positions, shoot threes, he can run a little bit of the offense, a good enough defender. Uh, I I do agree with you. I think this is a really good pick here. And for what it's worth, uh, so Bogdanovich originally went 31st overall as the the first pick of the second round to the Miami Heat. Did not actually come over to the NBA until the 2014-15 season. Had one of those crazy expensive European buyouts, uh, which is probably a reason, to be honest, why uh, he didn't go uh, higher because those first round guarantees uh, uh, don't apply to guys taking in the second round pick. So uh, I, I think Bogdanovich, look, I, he was never going to make make an all-star team this year. I think even if Utah would have been on pace to win 70 games like Milwaukee was, he still probably wouldn't have of uh, uh, stuck it out. But I think he's sort of in that mold along with like the Danilo Gallinari's of the world as somebody who's just a kind of like a, a perfect third or fourth kind of option that you can kind of turn to. And I think you're absolutely right. That Pacers series against Cleveland, uh, he was spectacular uh, as a number two guy playing off of Victor Oladipo and and really made LeBron work. Like he did as good of a job on LeBron as probably anyone in the East did there for, for four or five years. Yeah, Boyan is uh, quietly the last couple of years doing his best Peja Stojakovic impressions, averaging 19 points a game last two years, shooting 42% from three and 47% overall. I mean, there's not a better uh, – there's not a better spot-up shooter, complimentary guy like you're talking about at six foot eight who can play some power forward too um, than him in the league right now. Yeah, if you if you, uh, if you did a blind resume between uh, Bogdanovich this season and some of Peja's All Star seasons, you'd have a hard time uh, picking the two of them up aside from each other. And, and that's no small feat. Uh, Page is a guy that finished fourth in MVP voting one year, so. Uh, certainly uh, worth worth a lot of shine. I'm getting a lot of value with the ninth overall pick. I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back, uh, giving myself bruises there uh, in doing so. <laughs> All right, moving on to the 10th pick. Alex, the Milwaukee Bucks originally took Jimmer Fredette. I'm going to assume that you are not taking Jimmer Fredette. Who are you going with here? I'm going to pass on Jimmer. Uh, I'm going to go with a similar guy who kind of rem- is reminiscent of, of Jimmer's kind of skyrocket to fame and then plummet back down to earth. Uh, and that's Isaiah Thomas, who we just talked about, who was, who was drafted uh, with the last pick of the draft, number 60, uh, by, the, by the Kings. And uh, we all know how his career has played out. I think if you're looking, there's our, this is kind of how we, how we should really be debating each pick is, are you looking at a guy's peak? Are you looking at his overall career? Are you looking at you know, what his value is right now? Um, and and I think there's no argument that Isaiah Thomas has the highest peak of uh, anyone left on the board, and really maybe outside of Kawhi and 
Clay and, and maybe like one Kyrie year, uh, IT's peak was, was right up there. That's an interesting one. Uh, until you just said it, I don't think I'd ever contemplated the fact that Isaiah Thomas's peak might be better than like Kyrie Irving's peak. Uh, you know, taking out taking out you know, the, the shot in the finals and the exploits and and that, but just pound for pound, uh, I I don't think that there's much of an argument that Isaiah Thomas's peak is is every bit as good as Kyrie's peak. And I want to say in that that season that he did finish. What was he? He was in the top five in MVP, right? Uh, he he was basically the best fourth quarter scorer in the NBA. It was like any time there was a game close, he would just turn on, come up with big buckets. That season was just so much fun because he he really was. He he was absolutely incredible. Yeah, he was. Yeah, fifth. I, I sorry, he was fifth in MVP uh, award voting that year, and as good as it, you could put that up with any Kyrie year, and I, you might. You might take that IT year when he averaged 29 points a game, shot 46%, 38% from three, averaged six assists. Kyrie hasn't had a year that's better than that. Some of, some of those fourth quarters in that year were just absolutely outrageous. Like the closest thing that I can think of to it is is like weirdly, I, I, I almost feel like there was, it was like, a, like when Tim Tebow was winning those games as a starting quarterback uh for the broncos and it was like how the hell is tim tebow doing this time and time again and everyone's just kind of like collectively losing their minds i feel that that same way kind of about what was happening with isaiah thomas and the celtics (laughs) because it just didn't make any sense like he was he was just like making floaters uh over over guys a foot taller than him in the lane hitting crazy step back threes uh the fans in boston were just collectively losing their minds uh, it was outrageous, but it is worth pointing out that with Isaiah Thomas off the board at 10, we have now drafted seven different guys, uh, that at one point or another have made an all-star team. Uh, Alex, the floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, first of all, that's huge disrespect to Isaiah Thomas comparing him to Tim Tebow. I mean, come on, <laughs> this guy, this is like a legit NBA one of the, player one of the with a lot of talent. Players of all time. Yeah. But in the NFL, uh, come on, man. He won a playoff game, winning record as a starting quarterback? Yeah, and then never played again. I mean, come on. He was he was barely like a NFL caliber quarterback that especially like Dwight Howard playing point guard is Tim Tebow playing quarterback in the NFL. It's both, you, you can't make bo- that comparison. Both left <laughs> Both lefties? <laughs> okay. Sent, sent sent packing unceremoniously after delivering uh memorable postseason exploits? Really? All right, let's, all right. <laughs> let's, not, let's not go down the team. All right, seven All-Stars of uh, the floor is yours. Let's try this again. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, seeing that there were seven All-Stars in this draft, um, which is the most in the last, uh, in the last 11 years, uh, had me just going back and looking at other drafts uh, that had similar All-Star talent. Um, in 2008, you had seven All-Stars as well. Uh, you had Dragic, Hibbert, Kevin Love, Derrick Rose, Scott's boy, Brooke Lopez, DeAndre Jordan, Russell yeah. Westbrook. Uh, I think the 2011 crew is is clearly better than that one. Um, so you got to go all the way back to 2003, as you mentioned before, to to find an argument for what was a better draft class from a uh, all-star talent perspective. And I think you can make a case that 2011 was better. Uh, you look at the... 
2003 class, uh, the All-Stars, obviously LeBron. You had Melo, you had D-Wade, you had Bosh. No arguing those guys. Uh, I mean, say what you want about Melo. That's a whole other podcast where I could hate on him. But uh, outside of those guys, the other five All-Stars were David West, very solid career. Um, Then you got Chris Kamen. That's a shocker that he even made one. Mo Williams, another guy that I think a lot of people would be surprised made an all-star team. Kyle Korver, who was given the pity all-star nod the year that the Hawks made uh, or won 60 games and won an absurd amount of games in a row at one point. I think Korver was a late ad. And uh, Josh Howard, who, uh, I don't know, that's kind of an uninspiring all-star pick there. He had a a nice little career, but uh, not on the level of of cachet that the other guys have. So uh, I I would personally take Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, IT, Kemba, Clay, Kawhi, and Vucevic over that crew of nine. Um, And then just looking at the last last 30 years overall, there's only been four other seasons where uh, more than seven players were taken. And you can go back to 96, uh, which 10 players drafted were, uh, were selected to the All-Star game, which is, might be the best draft class of all time, where you had Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, Steve Nash, Peja aforementioned, uh, Marbury, Jermaine O'Neal, Antoine Walker, Sharif Abdurrahim, and Ilgauskas. Ten All-Stars from the 96 draft, which was, uh, which was pretty eye-popping to see. But overall, I would say in it's the last... Of... Yeah, go ahead, Micah. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of crazy, too. Like, I th- you look back at the 96, and you rattle off all those names. And, like, outside of, really, like, outside of Ilgoskis, they're all, like, pretty legitimate all-stars. Like, there's not, like, a, you don't have the the Josh Howard, Kyle Korver, Mo Williams, Chris Kamen run of sort of, like, inflated bottom-feeding all-stars. And even Ilgoskis, like, yeah, maybe maybe isn't isn't sort of your 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 typical all-star but the guy was like a a really good uh impactful center for the better part of a decade uh and even like like Antoine Walker could get buckets and was you know say what you will about how he maybe thought he was uh, uh on a different level than he was but Antoine Walker was nice there for for a little while same thing with Sharif Abdurrahim Sorry, I don't want this to turn into the '96, uh, the '96 redraft, but uh, it is kind of crazy looking back on it. Just it's not even like the volume of all stars, but the the quality of them is is pretty outrageous. Scott, you got thoughts on a Sharif Abdurrahim? Big fan. I, I have I have no thoughts, but if you want me to talk about <laughs> Brook Lopez for twenty minutes, I I can go ahead. Just get just give me the the signal. Can you can you tell me how in what planet Brook Lopez made an all star team? What are we doing here? What are you talking? He was he was nice when he was with the Brooklyn Nets. He's a completely different player as well. I don't think enough is made of how he's changed his career so much over the last like six years. Like he he was a, a dump it down post guy in Brooklyn, and now he's a guy who's who's launching threes at a rate we've never seen from a center um, while being a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, it, his his career, all jokes aside, it's remarkable about how much he's actually changed. Any time as a starting center, you can average fewer than five rebounds a game for three straight years and somehow still come away uh, with someone as esteemed as Scott Rafferty singing your praises. Uh, hey, hey, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what skeletons you got in the closet that he, or, or he knows where the bodies are buried, but that's uh, some pretty flattering praise consistently coming out of you. Hey, <laughs> look, look, at, look at how his teams have rebounded when he's on the court. 
right? That that's it. That's all that matters. All right, we don't we don't need to talk about uh, Brook Lopez right. anymore. We got we got a lot of picks to go, but <laughs> I, I did want to point out one thing that I came across in looking at um, All Stars per draft. The 2000 draft has to be hands down the worst in the last 30 years. Only three All Stars, which is tied for the least. Those three All Stars: Jamal McGlure, who I'm sure most people would would doubt have ever even sniffed an all-star game. Kenyon Martin, who was probably a borderline all-star at in his best season. Um, and and Michael Red, who's actually an underrated player, uh, but kind of had a short career arc there. But, I mean, talk about a lack of star power. That's got to be the worst by far. Uh, anyway, does anyone – who would you guys take in the last 20 years? Would you take the, the LeBron draft or the uh, – or the 2011 draft that we're talking about right now? Probably the LeBron I, draft just because of how top-heavy it was. I mean, you're talking about, what, four no-brain Hall of Famers there in LeBron, Melo, Wade, and Bosch. And like you're saying, you can say all you want about Melo and whether or not he could have been a better player like that and everything. But he, he is hands down a Hall of Famer. So I, I think when you just look at it from that perspective, it, it would hard for, it'd be hard for me to say uh, no, no to that one. Yeah, I agree. I, I I get. I appreciate what uh, what you're doing there with the sort of the. I, it's it's funny. I think like you, if you were to take all of those sixteen all stars, it probably goes like LeBron. I mean, maybe Kawhi's in that group too. But it's like the the main guys from 2003, and then probably all of the guys from 2011, and then back to the bottom half of 2003. So I. But I, but I, I would agree with Scott. I think that the top heavy part of it uh, would have me leaning towards two thousand three. Yeah, I think it's an easy argument to make. I think once you get past All Stars, though, as we'll see, it's a good transition to the rest of the uh, the redraft here. I think this this draft was really strong um, when you're talking about picks ten through twenty compared to two thousand three and and most others in the last thirty years. So I agree with that. It's Scott. You're picking number eleven. This this came down to two players for me. One of them was Davis Bertans, who who who's just incredible. The amount of threes that he can shoot at, a, at as high a rate as he can. But I think I might surprise you guys by going with Tristan Thompson here. I feel like a it's kind of forgotten how valuable he was to the Cavs when they won the title. Not just his rebounding, his offensive rebounding in particular, but his defense and his ability to switch onto Steph Curry. Do you guys want to guess what? Clay, uh, what Tristan Thompson held Steph Curry to shooting from the floor in that series? Oh, man. Uh, 20%. 41%. A complete guess. Okay, well, okay, it wasn't that low, Micah, but it, it was 34.6%. Curry shot 9 for 26 from the field when he was guarded by Tristan Thompson. Um, and, and obviously, you know, a lot that's been talked about with that series is that Steph wasn't at full strength, but he was on the court. Tristan Thompson played very good one-on-one defense against him and he was a huge part of Cleveland's ability to kind of slow Golden State down and win the championship so I I think that just that his ability to be a versatile defender at the center position he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the league right now I I think he's just he's still a solid pick here yeah I got no argument I think um, you know the top 10 is pretty clear to me and once we go to start getting 11 through 20, I think there's there's legitimate cases to be made for any one of these guys in any of the next uh, the next 10 picks. And Tristan Thompson has as good a case as any of those guys. 
one of one of the best offensive rebounders uh, of the last decade, and and you hit the nail on the head perfectly. Really, a uh, kind of a like in a weird way, like kind of the 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 absolute perfect center for a team uh, built to go against uh, those Golden State Warriors because like you just don't have a prayer against those types of offenses if your bigs can't can't move and switch and Tristan Thompson like a little bit not maybe not ahead of his time cuz he's kind of in that time but uh kind of a, a prototypical uh you know versatile quick quick twitch with his feet moving big but i i i agree with you i like Tristan Thompson uh all right the 12th overall pick the Utah Jazz originally took Alec Burks uh i'm going to go i'm going to go with Davis Bertans here um, originally taken all the way down with the 42nd pick was included, uh, in that trade, sending Kawhi Leonard, uh, from the Indiana Pacers to the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, look, I, I think that there's of all the guys left on the board here, if you were just judging by where we are and, and sort of the current landscape of the NBA, if there was one guy who you were going to reach with, Ahead of even some of the other guys that have made all-star teams, I think it might be Bertans just because of what he can do as a shooter. Um, he's obviously not Clay Thompson, but like there's a world in which the Golden State Warriors, uh, well, there's not a world in which they take Davis Bertans 11th, but let's just say that they had taken him 11th. Like he still could have put up some pretty crazy uh, shooting splits playing there in Golden State. Uh, I think Bertans is the perfect, perfect role player uh, for today's NBA. Somebody capable of just completely destroying anyone uh, at a moment's notice from anywhere on the floor. Uh, So I'm going to roll with Bertans at 12. You know what's crazy? If you look at, so he's taking over eight threes per game this season and he's made 42% of those. If you if you plug those numbers into basketball reference and look at guys who have taken eight threes per game and made over 40% of those opportunities in uh, in NBA history, these are the names. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Ray Allen, Duncan Robinson this season, and RJ Hunter, but he uh, he's, I think that was just one game, so he, he doesn't even qualify. <laughs> so um, that that's you, some... you could have just left him. Yeah, out. just come on. I, I felt like I feel like I had to say him. I, I was looking for the games played, and it quickly became yeah, one game played. Uh, so forget RJ Hunter, but either way, so it's it's Batons, Clay Thompson, Ray Allen, Steph Curry, and then Duncan Robinson this season. That that's some pretty crazy company. And and he's the only the only big there. So he's the. I mean, he could make a case that with a a little more sustained success, like he could become the best, what, like stretch four ever. That's probably a stretch. That's probably probably a stretch. That's probably a stretch. A little too hot there. (laughs) I mean, best maybe spot up shooting four if if you wanted to say something like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been awesome this year. And, but can we talk about how the Pacers traded away Kawhi and Davis, Davis Bertans? Yeah, we're gonna, get there. we're gonna get there. We're gonna get we're gonna get there when when we get to the fifteenth pick. We'll rehash it all because that's where they took Kawhi. But in the meantime, you were on the board with the thirteenth pick. Uh, the Phoenix Suns originally took Markeith Morris, the first of back to back Morris twins pick. His brother Marcus went fourteenth uh, to the Rockets. Novik, who are you taking with the thirteenth pick? Yeah, there's a lot of good options here. Um, I mean, you brought up Morris. Marcus Morris probably is the most valuable player left on the board, but 
you know, he just kind of shoots too much for, for my taste. Uh, I'm going to go with Kenneth Fareed. Uh, I know he's out of the league, or he's currently not on a team, I don't believe, um, and he's had he's kind of fallen off a cliff the last few seasons because he can't shoot threes and he's not an elite rim protector. But this was a, a big-time double-double machine for a few years, uh, played on the Olympic team, uh, you know, brought a ton of energy in his, in his prime years with the Nuggets, and I think his peak is probably higher um, than just about anyone left uh, other than maybe – Chandler Parsons is, is still out there, not to spoil anything, but I think Fareed had the highest has the highest peak of of anyone left, and including ahead of probably Bertans and Tristan Thompson. I so I got something for Fareed. So if you were to look, this is how just to give you an idea of how productive he was those first couple of seasons in the league. If you were to take every player from this draft class and rank them all based on win shares from their first three seasons in the league. Where would you guess Fareed would, would show up on that list? Top Among the entire draft class. Top three? Top four? Scott? Yeah, probably top five by the, the way that you're going with this. Well, number one, to nobody's surprise, is Kawhi. Uh, and then number two is Fareed. Like, the guy was an absolute animal. And it's it's... Kind of, I, I don't know if it's if it's funny, if it's a cautionary tale, if it's something. Um, kind of one of the names that comes to mind when I think Kenneth Reed is Montrez Harrell, uh, and it's it's especially prudent because Montrez Harrell is probably about to get a big deal this summer. I, maybe maybe Reed's not quite as skilled as Harrell, but kind of does a lot of the similar things and wasn't that far off production wise. Uh, back in his first couple of years of where where Harrell is now, maybe maybe minus a little bit of scoring, but in terms of uh, the energy, the rebounding, the hustle, all the ta- tenacity that he brings, kind of similar players, right? Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. And and when you think about how much success Harrell's having right now, it's just bizarre that Fareed can't even make a roster. There's there's something there's something off about it. There's something that probably we're not seeing um, as outsiders. It just doesn't make sense because the guy, he's still a double-double machine. For his career, he's averaging 17 and 11 per 36. And even in the last couple of years, he, he, he was good with the Rockets last year. Um, I mean, Harrell probably is a little bit better of a rim protector. Maybe can step out a little further and, and hit an open jumper. But I don't really see a huge difference between those two guys. And one guy's about to play on a finals contender as you know one of the best players, and the other guy's out of the league. So it it is bizarre. Uh, but I think it's I think it is the defense. I, I think Trez is significantly better defensively, and I think when you look at both of those guys, an undersized power forward or center, I think even like marginal differences defensively makes a world of a difference for a player like that. It does, and it's honestly, it's kind of one of the reasons why, like, when somebody like Draymond Green loses even half a step, it's going to look like he just lost fifteen steps because, like you just said, the, the those margins are real small uh, when you start getting into players of that of, the, of that type. So, uh, all right, well, Kenneth Free going thirteenth. Scott, you are on the board with the fourteenth pick. Who you got? This is uh, this is this is tough. I, I think I'm going to go with Marcus Morris, even though I agree with you, Alex. He shoots a little bit too much for my liking, but uh, he's a really he's turned into a really good, solid volume three point shooter. 
He's a very tough perimeter defender, a guy who's actually had some success against LeBron James in the past. I would never call him a LeBron stopper because that's just not a thing anymore. But when you, you kind of list the guys you'd like to go up against LeBron in a series or something like that, Marcus Morris is pretty high on that list. So I, I just think for those two reasons, um, I, I think I'd go with him here. Yeah, no argument for me. He's he's a valuable guy. You know, take take away you know his his you know ultimate green light that he has in his mind. Uh, he's a helpful guy for for most teams. So I won't argue. And it it'll be interesting to see how he performs with the Clippers in the playoffs. Should it return? Because it's going to be. I mean, it's a huge season for the Clippers uh, and and going up against the Lakers and everything like that. And I wrote after they acquired him. I wrote on NBA.com about how he could kind of shift the battle for LA in the Clippers' favor because of his ability to to play a small ball power forward, switch across the board against a team like the Lakers. Uh, so, so, so the playoffs is going to be huge for him if and when the season does return. Is it a stretch to suggest that Marcus Moore, he's, look, he's obviously not the most important player moving forward because he's not on the level of guys that that distinction would belong to. But if you were to t- sort of go through every X factor on an important team, is Marcus Morris maybe the the single biggest X factor or unknown or question mark moving forward? The guy that uh, among role players has the potential to swing sort of the most. Is that a fair uh, a fair label for Marcus Morris? I think it's definitely fair to say he's up there because as we were just saying, he, he does have a tendency to take bad shots and be a ball stopper. So if you look at it from that perspective, if he's taking the ball out of Kawhi Leonard's and Paul George's hands, that's a huge problem. That could be a reason that the Clippers don't reach their potential this season. On the flip side, if he if he's a guy who is stretching the floor at a high rate as a power forward, is willing to do all the dirty work, guard LeBron James for 30, 40 minutes a game, not afraid to get into foul trouble, uh, pick up some big fouls and things like that, uh, I, I do think that could be, you know, that'd be a huge reason why the Clippers would be able to beat the Lakers in a series. Yeah, I mean, he, he's gonna he's gonna have his moments. If, if he if he's on the Clippers next year or if the playoffs resume this year. He's gonna he's gonna have his moments where he he'll hit a big shot, he'll hit a dagger, or at least he'll take a bad shot and miss uh, in a in a big spot. He'll 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 make himself a focal point at some point in the playoffs, and I think it's probably 50-50 whether he'll be successful. I I'm in the camp that the biggest uh, benefit that the Clippers had in signing Marcus Morris was making sure that the Lakers didn't sign Marcus Morris. I think it's a move that they probably had to make. I also, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not a fan. I think that there are too many, uh, there are too many uncertainties. I think it's, it's really telling that he was having the, the career year uh, away from any pressure or any semblance of anything positive, big picture wise, uh, with the Knicks. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that he's, he's a wild card for both good and bad reasons. Uh, so you know what? He's 14th in our redraft, 14th in the original draft, the perfect stop, spot for Marcus Morris, uh, which moves us to pick number 15. The Indiana Pacers originally had Kawhi Leonard fall into their laps. At the time, they had just drafted Paul George, who was coming off a rookie season in which he showed a little bit of spurts. They also had Danny Granger uh uh, also on the wing in his prime. This was a team that fancied themselves a contender. And of course they were, they were right there. They felt that they were just one piece away from really truly becoming a problem in the Eastern conference, which I don't necessarily disagree with. 
A couple of years later, they got within one game of the NBA Finals, ultimately losing to the Heat. They traded Kawhi Leonard and Davis Bertans for George Hill, who, of course, uh, ran, ran point there in Indiana for several years. Guys, this has to be one of the biggest what-ifs of the last uh, maybe ever when it comes to the NBA draft, thinking of how many things would have changed or gone differently uh, if the Pacers just don't trade Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it's one of the worst trades ever. I mean, George Hill is, is a nice player, but uh, I mean, to, to give away a Hall of Famer and, and then throw in a guy who Micah just said was potentially going to be the best stretch four of all time in uh, Davis Bertans, it's, uh, it doesn't get any worse than that. I guess a big question, though, is do you think Kawhi Leonard becomes the player that we know he is today if he's not brought up in, in San Antonio's system? That's a great point. That's a great point. He might not. I mean, he probably wouldn't have a finals uh, MVP <laughs> on his hands or he wouldn't have the first finals MVP and yeah, might not have progressed as well. But you got to think he's at least a perennial all-star player, right? I mean, he's a talented enough guy. I think he's he's driven enough um personally, you know, even without any external factors, that he would have turned himself into a perennial all-star. Yeah, that's probably a fair way to look at it. Yeah, I think he becomes an all-star. I don't think he becomes an MVP type guy because, I, you know, one of the biggest question marks about him and why he went 15th, he had a completely broken jump shot, like completely broken uh, in college. Uh, The Spurs also have maybe the best shooting coach in the entire world uh, in Chip England. Uh, down there in San Antonio, who worked wonders with Kawhi uh, in developing him, and and remember, like it, even in the twenty that year in twenty thirteen fourteen when he wins his first Finals MVP uh, for slowing down Kawhi or for slowing down LeBron, like he was still maybe what the the fourth best player on the on that team that that won it, maybe even fifth best player uh, when you really take a step back and look at that Spurs team as a whole. So it's not like Kawhi came in. And from day one was this uh, like transcendent player who immediately everyone saw should have gone a lot higher. So, I, okay, let me let me put something else out to you. If the if the spur if the Pacers with George Hill get past Miami in 2013, and say they win the title against San Antonio and Kawhi, do we look at that trade differently? Yeah, we absolutely do. But you can't play that game. <laughs> Like he, I just he did just play did. that game. That's why we're playing that game. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I still don't think. I mean, it's a win. It's a win now move, right? So it's just these things happen. Either if you make a win, if you make a move to win now, when you don't win now, you're obviously going to get crushed for it. But I, it's kind of a move that, in hindsight, you look at their roster and their team and who Indiana had at the time. It's easy to play the oh my god, imagine if they had Kawhi and Paul George. But at the same time, like. You can kind of see why they would do it, right? I, w- I could see why they would trade the 15th pick in Kawhi for a point guard, a guy that fit their team a little bit better. But, I mean, George Hill, like, there's a lot of guys you could replace with George Hill it, and he and get a similar value. I mean, he, he wouldn't have been the reason why they won the title. Like You could have fit a, a lot of guys in that spot just to serve their role, play point guard, handle the ball a little bit, shoot some threes, and... and would have contributed just as much to any title the Pacers would have won. So I, I don't know. I still wouldn't, I wouldn't deem it a success. 
For what it's worth, by the way, I, I do remember Paul George recently saying that uh, he was nervous when, I, I want to say this is right, he, he was nervous when the Pacers drafted Kawhi initially because they played the same position. And obviously, they play on the same team now, and it hasn't been a problem. But I do think the NBA was quite different back then to the point where maybe two wing guys like that who who are really traditionally small forwards, maybe they don't fit alongside each other as clean as we can, you know, see it now. I mean, there's a reason that it didn't work between Paul George and, and Danny Granger, right? I mean, I mean, some of that is the injuries uh, to Granger. But I mean, even as you saw kind of Paul George emerge... Uh, it ultimately kind of simultaneously happened with the downward spiral for Danny Granger's career. The, the two of them, even if Granger would have stayed healthy, it's not like there were all of these signs pointing towards the two of them uh, blossoming together, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. It, it's so easy to, I mean, Gil, uh, Gil and I did this for uh, another podcast last week where we were looking back at you know, what would have happened had Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter stayed together. It's fun to do that exercise and think what could have happened and everything. But the reality is there's just so much unknown that it's hard to say, had, would it actually have worked out or not? Uh, entering entering that offseason, George Hill was 24 years old, uh, coming off his third year in the league, averaged 11.6 points, 2.5 assists, and 2.6 rebounds a game uh, while coming off the bench behind Tony Parker. Uh, for the Spurs. So uh, that is ultimately the resume and, and season uh, of the guy that they traded for Kawhi. And recently at his introductory news conference, well, not, not recently anymore, but back in the fall at his introductory news conference with the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard was asked about the very possibility of playing with Paul George. And looking back, and he says, quote, Paul is a player I always wanted to play with. When I got drafted to the Pacers, I'm like, they already got a two-way player. As our careers moved forward, seeing how he developed, seeing how I developed, I wonder if we'd have stayed in Indiana. Oof, that just twists the knife in every single Pacers fan's heart, uh, hearing those words back. Um, okay, let's move on to the 16th pick. Wait, who did you pick with 15? Did, you, didn't, you didn't pick anyone. I didn't even pick anyone, that's right. <laughs> Man, I am I am all sorts in over my head. I don't even... Um, I... So I think I think it's Chandler Parsons, and I know that Chandler Parsons as um, punchline is not the right word because just the, of of all the injuries that have happened in his career, he just it's it's unfortunate what happened uh, and sort of how his career got derailed there. But I do think it's worth pointing out that like he got not one but two big contracts. He signed a three year forty six million dollar. Uh, contract as an offer sheet um, as a restricted free agent the first time it came around. And then the next time, as recently as the summer of 2016, signed a four-year $95 million contract with the Grizzlies. Now, that's a contract that Memphis has obviously gotten a lot of grief for, uh, given the way of, of sort of what's happened and transpired with Parsons, who really just basically hasn't played uh, regularly at all since signing that deal. But there's a reason that he got that deal in the first place. You don't just give $95 million out to guys not worthy of anything. I think Chandler Parsons' pre-injury was a little bit of a do-it-all Swiss Army knife. Not saying that he was worth that big deal, but I think probably uh, the fact that he warranted even getting it shows what type of player he was uh, before getting hurt. So I would go Chandler Parsons here. It's probably fair to say that he's almost like the the perfect 
role-playing perimeter player in today's NBA, right? When you think of a guy who, who he, can, he can make some plays with the ball in his hands, he's a good three-point shooter, he can run the court, he can guard multiple positions. I mean, in his third season with the Rockets, he averaged 16.6 points per game, six rebounds nearly, four assists, one steal, um, while shooting 37% from three on decent volume. He, he As you were saying, he, he was kind of a Swiss army knife player, could do a little bit of everything. I, I think had he been still healthy, he would be perfect for today's NBA. Yeah, he was a little bit ahead of the curve as far as the uh, the stretch four type guy who can do it all and and really good long range shooter. I mean, for for that four year stretch where he actually played and was at his peak, he shot thirty nine percent at five threes per game, um, and then all the other numbers that you just mentioned, Scott. Uh, he was at, at six foot nine. Not many guys were doing what he did back then between twenty twelve and twenty sixteen. But then, I mean, his knee was already starting to to balk at the end of his Mavs career, and then for Memphis to see that and then give him the four-year deal. They deserve all the all the shame they're getting for that. He hasn't even played. Well then, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, all right. Rather than rather than go pick by pick after 15 here, let's just kind of hit on some other guys that you find uh, sort of interesting that are still hanging around in the weeds. As we talked at the top, a lot of a lot of really deep quality role players uh, around in the, in the latter part here. So uh, let's just go around, Alex. Who's one guy that we have not drafted yet that really kind of grabs your attention as as someone worth mentioning here? Yeah, I think uh, unfortunately Enos Cantor, uh, who was taken third overall, as you mentioned, um, he, he's kind of been the same victim, falling falling the same path as Kenneth Fareed. Uh, not quite as much of a drop off, but just like a big who's a double double machine that because of the way today is played, um, you're not a, you're not a three point shooter. You're not playing more than 20, 25 minutes a game. But twenty five years ago, Enos Cantor would be a perennial all star because no one no one can offensive rebound like him. Um, no one's as, as much of a guaranteed double double uh, as Cantor. He he he'd probably be the next guy off the board, um, and it's it's unfortunate for him that that he's playing in the era that he is. It is funny, like if you if you take this draft class and you transport it twenty years prior, uh, maybe he still is the third pick in the draft just because of how how the league was. Yeah, Tristan Thompson too would be a lot more valuable back then. I mean, we already talked about how valuable he is now for his ability to defend, but he's another guy that would in the nineties would probably be an all star caliber player. Scott, what about you? Uh, for my the next player, uh, Nikola Mirotic is a guy I had on my radar. It, it's a shame that his season last year ended the way it did, basically going from starting at power forward for the Bucks to not even taking the floor in game six against the Raptors because he, he had a pretty solid NBA career. It's been short-lived, and maybe he comes back, uh, but it, it's been pretty short-lived. He came in 2014-15 was, was his first season, 23 years old. He averaged 10 points per game and finished second in Rookie of the Year voting that year, I think. Was it be, uh, behind Andrew Wiggins? Uh, and and he's, he's, he's turned into a very good stretch for a, the kind of guy that most pretty much every team in the league would want on their roster. So uh, he, he was going to be a guy over the next couple picks had we continued doing this uh, that I, I would have expected to see taken. Yeah. I agree. I, I think I think Mirtich, uh being a Bulls fan, look, there were there were some times where he really had it cooking, uh, both as a shooter and driver, where he you kind of put it put it together. He could never kind of like put all those pieces together, 
but there there's definitely some some sort of like the ability there is there and you can kind of get you would get these glimpses uh with Miritich where he would just sort of catch fire and completely take over games and he would look like I mean he would look like he'd be somebody that we should be talking about uh, as like a borderline fringe all-star guy, sort of like how we, we had a conversation about Boyan Bogdanovich. Like, it's not that much of a stretch to imagine a world in which, like, that's the version of the, of Nikola Miritich that, that kind of came to fruition. But, uh, and, and who knows? Maybe, maybe eventually he'll, he'll make his way back. Um, the, the, the one guy that I, that I had on here, uh, well, two guys, but for two entirely different reasons. I still can't believe Derek Williams. Uh, didn't turn out to be a great NBA player. I, he was the second overall pick by Minnesota. If we were to keep doing this, man, I, I don't even know. I don't even know if Williams would would go in the first round anymore. Uh, I am, am a went to Duke, and I still have nightmares about Derek Williams just dunking all over Kyrie Irving and Kyle Singler and Nolan Smith, all of which went in this draft. Uh, I, I just I cannot believe after watching what Derek Williams did in the NCAA tournament that he was not just at, at least a serviceable uh, NBA player, let alone a good or a great one. So I'm just I'm, I'm kind of perplexed by that. If Derek, Derek Williams in his sophomore year at Arizona when they took out your Dukies shot 56.8% from three. And, that, and that's almost that's two outrageous. per game that he took. 56.8%. And this is a power forward who could jump out the gym. And for him to not even be able to carve out a career today with that skill set is uh, surprising, to put it nicely. Yeah, I think that there are uh, there are some other things going on there um, that we, we may or may not know know too much about. The other, the other name that I had, uh, and for a different reason, is uh, Donatus Montiunis. Because... So he's uh, out of the league now, uh, but his third year in the league uh, had basically worked his way into Houston's starting lineup. Was scoring a little bit, pretty pretty skilled. Uh, could even sh- was even showing some signs of of developing some good three point range. Shot thirty seven percent from three that year, uh, and then it just kind of it just kind of went away. It just sort of never happened. He was a guy that uh, like Houston really liked. I, I, he he was a name that they were. That they were kind of like holding out of, of trade talks, had a couple of had a bunch of twenty point games. Uh, I, I don't I don't really know what happened uh, with him to to be quite honest, and, and why he wasn't able to sort of uh, sustain that early success that he had. I can't remember if it had something to do with injuries, um, but but I do remember that 2014-15 season with the Rockets. That that was like the peak of my Rockets fandom. Uh, and just a really fun team, fun guy, could do a little bit of everything offensively, super talented, and uh, it, it is weird to think that he, he could never really build on that season. Yeah, another guy you'd think would be perfect for today's game that just didn't pan out. Uh, one other guy we should bring up, um, Hall of Famer probably in his own mind, uh, is, <laughs> is uh, Reggie Jackson. I mean, it's kind of surprising that, he, that none of us picked him. Uh, in the top 15, but I think that's more of a reflective on how his career has gone the last few seasons where he's just, he's just become a chucker who can't stay healthy. Um, and, and shoots just his efficiency has just been terrible for a few years now, but in his prime, I mean, or at his peak, he averaged 19 points, six assists for the, for the Pistons, uh, took him to the playoffs, 
he was he was a pretty solid player and off the bench for OKC he he helped them win some playoff games so he was, he was really good in in his peak but that was a short peak and he's really struggled the last few years. Eats eats one more Markeith Morris Bismack Biombo Amon Shumpert Alec Burks Norris Cole Brandon Knight uh, the list goes on and on still a core, you know just a, a laundry list of other serviceable guys here that. Again, would have would have made for you get any of those guys in the twenties in any draft, uh, you're you're happy. Any 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 NBA team would be. All right, parting shots here. If there's one sort of thing that resonates most, looking back and thinking about this 2011 draft as a whole, what would it be for each of you guys? Scott, you go first. That is a good question. Um, I don't know. I I think just the top of the draft was interesting to go through. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard was a no-brainer at number one, but the difference between Clay and Jimmy Butler being two guys who are basically the same position and just play very different ways, and you can kind of just take your pick depending on what you prefer there. Similar case with Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving. We don't have to get back into Tobias Harris, but I, I do think that those top five picks, it, it is such a, a top-heavy star-driven class, and, and those guys all shine in just their own different way. Yeah, it's a, it's a great... Great class at the top. I think for me, it's it's uh, not looking not at the top, but at eleven through twenty. I can't think of another draft that has had as much depth of guys that really solid, like guys that are at their peaks were good NBA starters. Almost, you know, you can make a case as an All Star for a bunch of them when you talk about uh, Anus Canner, Bertans, Tristan Thompson, Nico, Fareed, Chandler Parsons, Reggie Jackson. Um, Tristan Thompson. I mean, that's that's a really solid eleven through twenty there that most drafts can't stack up with. I, w- I would agree. The the fact that again of those seven all stars, uh, of those seven all stars, the fact that only one was within the top eight, and and over half of them were were fifteen and later between Kawhi, Vooch, Jimmy Butler, and Isaiah Thomas. It's just. Uh, pretty insane the value late there. That that's got to be historic. I, I I just can't I can't help but always just keep coming back to what if the Pacers had not traded Kawhi Leonard because I just think about how how many different ways that that impacts uh, the way that we think about uh, today's game. Like not only just the thought of Kawhi and Paul George and whether or not they would have ultimately succeeded together, but think of like. The Spurs probably don't win another title. So we think about Tim Duncan differently. Uh, maybe that changes what LeBron does in Miami. Maybe they don't even maybe they don't even reach eight straight finals if they can't get past a Pacers team that has Kawhi uh, to throw at him in addition to all the other great players that have uh, that they have. Uh, the Raptors probably ultimately don't end up with Kawhi Leonard. What's happening now in LA probably doesn't happen. If uh, things go differently in Miami. Does LeBron ever go back to Cleveland? Are we still on a 52-year and counting uh, pro sports streak in Cleveland? I just, uh, my my the dominoes, my head explodes when I think about all the, the different ways that the NBA changed uh, by a team ultimately trading a guy that they took with the 15th pick in the draft for what amounted to a 24-year-old backup point guard. Uh, so I just... I, I just I look at that as as sort of one resounding butterfly effect uh, of the 2011 draft. Yeah, it's interesting. Ton of implications there. You just went into. I think you might have to go calm down after this. Sounds like your your head's really spinning from that. <laughs> I am. I'm got. 
I'm gonna sit down, go take a nap, uh, maybe have a have a nice uh, big glass of water to just cool off after this. <laughs> but uh, but that but that's it for now. That's the 2011 redraft uh, for Alex Novick and Scott Rafferty. I'm Mike Adams. Keep in tune right here to NBA Sound System. We'll be live with you twice a week moving on forward. More redrafts, more talk, more scuttlebutt, digging into the what-ifs, the unknowns, and so much more. Keep it locked right here on NBA Sound System. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.